When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Yes, indeed. Hello, everyone. I'm John Lund alongside Al Renato, a.k.a. as New York sports radio fans know him, the great Al from White Plains. And this is New Report, Old Report, here on Tuesday, April 23rd from 8 to 9 Eastern Time, live on Sports Radio America. If you missed the live show, you can catch the replay all week, also at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, or find the show as bonus content under the Bridge Sports Podcast, which you can find by searching for the Bridge Sports Podcast on Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts or Spotify or really wherever you get your podcasts, as well as at LondonBridge.com. If you want to interact with the show, you can text in a question, comment, or complaint to 929-274-3437, or if you're brave enough, leave a voicemail with the same, and we'll play what you have to say on air, again by calling 929-274-3437. This week, the Yankees are burning, the NBA playoff opening round is too long, and the NFL draft is nigh. Check your sources, we're off. Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is that a new report? Or we don't know. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. The streak continues for the show of excitement. Every week, better than the last. Tons to talk about. Maybe not so much now that college basketball is obviously over. The NFL is getting into draft mode, so that buzz is picking up. And the NBA playoffs are, for whatever reason, seven-game series is in the first round. So we're stuck watching some mediocre basketball, to say the least. But it is the postseason. That's something to talk about. And everybody on my New York Yankees is hurt. There is where we stand. Big Johnny, it is the walking wounded. I hope you had a nice Easter by the way with your with your lovely girlfriend and your respective families um, but the Yankees are all in the news because of totally negative circumstances and that they are a mass unit uh, you know pick your guy and down he goes uh, the big man uh, there go to judge is the latest one uh, to hit the IL uh, which you know, is going to be more like the, the real DL because uh, he has got an issue in his left side, which I think is probably going to keep him out for, I would guess, a minimum of, of a month, if not more. And uh, you know, all these, quote, soft tissue, close quote, injuries, uh, which seem to be running amok uh, throughout baseball, but especially the Yankees this year. The uh, other big man still out. Uh, with, I believe, a, a, a bicep issue. I never have to worry about bicep issues myself because I barely have them. So me straining them is, is, is few and far between. Uh, but Stanton is out with that injury. Um, center fielder is still out. Uh, obviously, Troy Tulowitzki was instantly out. My son and I put the under over on that at 25 games. Oh, we weren't even close. Uh, I think he made it barely through the first week. Before he went down with yet another injury, Didi is still on the mat from his Tommy John. 
and the list goes Severino, of course, and the list just goes on and on and on and on. But they do maintain uh, slightly above the 500 level. But that has been pretty much the big news for the Yankees is injuries, whereas the news for the Red Sox has been that they've been awful. And now Nathan Evaldi is going to have surgery on his elbow and be up probably a couple months. And Chris Sale can't get anybody out. So the AL East has fallen all to your Tampa Bay Rays, who are high atop uh, the AL East with you know, filling the building with Red Sox and Yankee fans every time they come in. And, you know, a few stragglers from the Tampa Bay area who may stumble in, not quite knowing where they are to watch a baseball game. Yeah, we're at, as college basketball March Madness pointed out, we mentioned on the show, this is survive in advance mode for the New York Yankees. I, I think it's still very difficult to take seriously the Rays, the Jays, the O's, and I think that'll last until they can put together several consecutive successful seasons. The Rays off to an incredibly hot start, but water finds its level, as they say. So you, you would think there's only a matter of time before they start coming back down to earth. Not to say they're going to have a poor year. I mean, they won 90 games last year, right? Well, that, Close see, to that, it. That's the thing that you have to be careful of, is because of these poor starts and ill health. It's not just the team getting off to a poor start and then rattle off, you know, uh, 25 out of 35. But if you get off to a poor start and you have ill health, then it's a little harder, I should say more than a little, but a lot more than a little harder uh, to rattle off, you know, 25 out of 35 because you never get a semblance of your everyday lineup. You never get a semblance of your starting pitching. Now, the Yankees do have their starting pitching pretty much with the exception of Severino in fold and pitching pretty well. But it's hard to go on big runs, and Tampa, if they stay healthy, uh, may have the best big three, at least right now, in the division uh, with the Charlie Morton acquisition. Obviously, last year, Cy Young won winner Snell, and the big kid uh, that they got from Pittsburgh, uh, along with Meadows, who's off to a great start. Uh, so, you know, be careful with this notion of, uh, you know, come back to the pack. You know, everybody made it sound like you know, the Red Sox and the Yankees are going to win 100 games. Well, you know, maybe the Red Sox and the Yankees are only going to win, you know, 92, 93 games because of injuries and because of ill health uh, to not just players, but pitchers. Uh, so as a result, they come back to the pack and aren't great teams this year. Tampa is right there in the mix because they've got good pitching, they got a good pen, and they got a lot of good, you know, everyday players. Not great. But good everyday players. They don't have MVP candidates, but they got quality players. And if you pitch and you play the game the right way, uh, you can catch these guys. You know, in everybody has, I don't want to call it a off year, but you, know, you can't just go out and roll, out, roll up 100 games every year. It's hard to do. It's hard to maintain health. It's hard to maintain excellence. And baseball is a very tough game. And it's a long, long, long season. And Yankees will get healthy eventually. And the Red Sox, I'm sure, will right the ship eventually. But I don't see 102 wins for anybody is my point. No, I, I could agree with that. It would be an, an eye raiser if they were to get there after the starts they had. And the interesting thing for the Yankees has been 
the vaunted bullpen that they expected to have has been one of their weaker points. We just saw it on Easter Sunday. Paxton has 12 strikeouts. You think the game's in hand, and before you know it, you're down 6-5, and you have to make a comeback in the ninth inning to get a victory over the Royals. So that's been something that I don't think they expected, the bullpen to not be as dominant as pegged. And the injuries, of course, is something that you can't predict. I, I guess the silver lining would be it's happening now in April, in early May, obviously a lot better than it happening in late August, early September when you're trying to make a push. So the, the thing is to cross your fingers, hope everybody can come back healthy enough and stay healthy enough to where you're strong in August, you're strong in September, you figured everything out with the bullpen, the starting pitching stays healthy, and you can make the push that you might need if you're behind a couple games from first place or fighting for the wild card spot. So in a way, they're okay, but it hasn't been must-see TV. I got to catch the Yankees tonight to see what five AAA players are going to be in the starting lineup. It's intriguing because to me, it, it, it always seems to be that these rash of injuries to teams happen in the beginning of the season. So it makes you wonder from a baseball standpoint, were guys ready? Were they too ready? Did they stress certain aspects of conditioning more than others to their detriment? But you, you don't see these rash of injuries happen in August. All right. Uh, or before the, I mean, it's one thing to have guys, you know, guy break his, breaks his hand, he gets hit. Okay. A guy slides into a bag, he twists his ankle. These are all non-contact injuries. Bicep. Abdominal, all right? Elbow. It's one thing after another, and none of it seems to relate to anything involving any type of contact, all right? Any type of real, I mean, judge swinging the bat. I, I don't even know how Stanton got hurt. I don't even know how we strained the bicep. All right? I can't even remember what's the matter with Hex. You know, you can't keep track of them. But the point is, you know, it's nobody crashing into a wall. It's nobody getting beamed. Or it's nobody stepping out of bag and twisting an ankle or a knee. It always seems to be in the early season, these injuries that don't involve real action. They involve more inaction. And I really wonder, and you know, training staff gets called onto the carpet when this kind of stuff happens. Remember, for, for a number of years, it seemed to happen in the Mets every year where there'd be four or five guys who were tweaked, you know, getting out of bed. I mean, stretching, warming up, you know, lat, uh, abdominal pulls, you know, strains, groins, whatever the case may be, hamstrings. So it made you wonder what type of conditioning was not working between the off-season and, you know, down in spring training. Uh, because, you know, you're, you're supposed to come out of there fit as a fiddle. I'm in the best shape of my life. And nobody can get so you know, it, it's very interesting you know atop the al east with the two teams that everybody thought was going to be the cream of the crop uh in that division and with the you know with the, with the exception of houston you know, two of the three best teams uh because everybody had them over cleveland because of what's happened to cleveland in terms of you know, their, their losses offensively um 
they just are not the same team. Ramirez off to a terrible start, and Lindor just coming back. Their pitching still strong, but not the Cleveland we've seen probably over the last few years in terms of overall strength. Much weaker bullpen. So you know everybody's saying 100 wins for the Yankees, 100 wins for the Red Sox, you know maybe 100 wins for Houston, you know, and everybody else tanking. You know, with Cleveland in there with, uh, you know, another playoff spot and waltzing their way to an AL Central crown over a hideous rest of the division. But right now, you got the Red Sox that are in supreme struggles in all aspects of the game, not hitting, not pitching, don't have a closer. And the Yankees struggling with you know, a massive amount of injuries. Uh, and Houston uh, behind the, the go-go Rangers right now. But, you know, obviously we think Houston's going to rise, uh, as you said, to the top like the cream does but you, know, you got any real concerns uh just for the yankee overall health and for the red sox uh you know when are they going to start playing better baseball long season long 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 way to go but you still got to be a little bit concerned you know when you got no real foreseeable vision of when your best team is going to be out on the field which is the route for the yankees right now so. right and we're probably three to four weeks away where the excuse for the hangover from the World Series for the Red Sox isn't going to come into play anymore. Uh, the Yankees being injured isn't going to come into play anymore. There's things that you won't be able to use as the reasoning for how poorly you're playing soon. But we haven't gotten to that point yet, and and I don't think too many people are worried about that point yet. That's what makes baseball so unique. Right. That's what makes it wholly, you know, it, it stands alone. Because you know they say you can't win, you can't win a pennant, and you can lose one. Uh, these teams are starting three and twenty. So, barring that, with their ability to go on big runs and you know their cavalcade of stars. They have the ability to put the pedal to the metal and play at another a, a level above anybody else in that division to the extent where it's not even close when they go on runs there at all eight cylinders. That's what makes the sport so unique is that with the duration of the season, it's, it's not getting late early yet. Let's put it that way. There's plenty of time. It is, as you know, uh, it's the tortoise that wins and not the hare this race. So uh, the Yankees just have to bit by bit, uh, player by player, get themselves back to good health. And I think everything will fall into place because as long as they pitch well, I, I think they'll be in pretty good shape. And not to win 100 games, but to certainly uh, be ready to rock come postseason time. And that's really what it's all about. It's building to the postseason in any sport, really in any sport. And you want to be in your best shape physically, and your best year performance will have come postseason. And that is literally, you know, another five months away. Survive in advance, Al. And that's what, in the NBA, to switch over there, I can't even use that example for the teams that are playing because there hasn't been much survival mode, at least on paper, with the series records. I am not a fan of the opening round seven-game series in the NBA. We're seeing why it's dumb pretty severely to this point with there only being one competitive series that's tied 2-2. Boston, the first team to sweep last night, sweeping the Pacers. It looks like the Bucks will do the same to the Pistons. Unfortunately for the Pistons, Blake Griffin was able to play today, but too little too late. 
Three one the Sixers and the Nets. Three one Toronto and the Magic. The Magic somehow snuck that first game victory. I don't think they'll get another one. Three one Portland and Oklahoma City, which is probably the biggest surprise considering well, the matchup that we had let's, there. Let's stay there because that really is, with all due respect to the Spurs and the Nuggets, which will be the most hotly contested of the opening round series. And as you said, they have been. It, it, it's been. Tough to watch. A lot of it has been tough to watch. Um, the Pacers fought hard uh, without Oladipo. They gave the Celtics a tussle in a couple games, and they're very well coached. Nate McMillan was my coach of the year. He won't win it uh, for the way they finished, but they played hard all the time, and they really gave the Celtics, who are also starting to play very well and getting uh, contributions from, like last year, uh, people – throughout the lineup and seem to have a better flow, a better mix, a better idea of who's contributing what in terms of their substitution patterns, etc. But this OKC Blazers series really to me uh, is not that much of a surprise. Remember the, the Blazers were the higher seed. Uh, the Blazers got swept out of the playoffs last year. OKC also left very early. Uh, to Utah. So now you got to start to wonder of these two teams with Portland having the three, one lead. Does it start now to fester in Oklahoma city? Westbrook decided to stay. He signed the long-term contract. KD leaves. Paul George comes over in a trade and he decides to sign long-term after uh, the Lakers don't give up enough for the Pacers to make the deal, and he doesn't become a free agent and go back home to L.A. And now you start to wonder, is Paul George happy with his decision as they look to be further and further and further and further away from even competing for a title? Because despite the fact that they have Russell Westbrook, who's a tremendous player, and the fact that they have uh, the big man Adams, who is a solid center, uh, I love my guy from Syracuse, uh, the, the kid Grant, who gets better and better, but they have no depth. Uh, they don't shoot the ball very well, with the other possible exception of Paul George. And Westbrook has really had, with all due respect to the triple-double machine, and because uh, some stats are overblown, uh, his effectiveness has not been nearly what it was the last couple of years. His shooting percentage is way down. His three-point shooting is way down. His free throw percentage is way down. He's not playing as effective. The effort is always there. Okay, the, the rush chip on the shoulder, play with your pants on fire is all. Effort is never a problem for Russ Westbrook. We all want our players, our teams, to play with the kind of nose to the grindstone, full effort all the time that Russell Westbrook gives the OKC organization and the OKC fans. But Russ Westbrook has not been nearly as good a player in terms of impact, effectiveness, analytics as he has been in the past. And last night, again, in the postgame, you know, he gives the angry man routine where he's got the running feud with the OKC writer, where every time this guy asks a question, 
It's next question. He refuses to answer the guy's question. And now Paul George, you know, gives the same thing. So how much longer is this going to fly in OKC? How much longer is the league going to be happy with the face it's painting on the organization when the star player has this kind of attitude? Or is the patience going to start to run a little thin with Sam Presti and ownership? And could that push Sam Presti to the left coast as the new president of basketball operations of the Los Angeles Lakers? And obviously for the Lakers, they're a team I like to watch. I like watching Paul George. Set. I love the Grant kid because he went to Syracuse. How much better he's getting. And Russ is worth the price of admission by himself. Do you think, as a sports fan, as a sports analyst, as somebody who loves all the majors and watches guys go from team to team in this era of free agency in all sports, Russ is there and signed. Paul George is there and signed. Adams is there inside. I know they don't have a lot to work with cap wise. Are they a place for, are they a destination for free agents? It doesn't feel like it, does it? Well, then, then where are they going? That's the thing. That's exactly the thing. Because even their track record before this, and I don't fault either of the two of the parties for leaving, James Harden being one of them, Kevin Durant being the other. You could throw Serge Ibaka in there if you want to, but you don't. That's unnecessary. They knew what they had around them. There wasn't huge feuds playing with Russell Westbrook. There wasn't give me the ball. We don't, they put a lot of that aside on the court, but they left. Kevin Durant goes to the Warriors to play with Seth Curry. James Harden wasn't really wanted there money-wise, so he was gone far earlier. I think he probably would have left as well if he was with Russell Westbrook a couple years ago just because that, that, that's the type of player he is. But that doesn't seem like a team where you would think, I can be the piece that's going to get them to the NBA Finals as you would with, say, playing for James Harden and going with the Rockets to play with Chris Paul. That's the conundrum with the Thunder. It's like it feels as though they've hit the ceiling and the ceiling's not even that high. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Now, let me go one step further. Since I think you've hit on something that is, is very accurate and on point. Do you think there is a player or is it simply that because of the way Russell Westbrook plays, it's almost impossible for anybody to go there and have the kind of impact that they can win a championship. Well, let's, let's start for scoring. How about win a round? You know, what, what, what's, what is the missing piece? It's amazing, too. It just feels like yesterday when they had a 3-1 lead. And we all thought, you know what? This is it. They figured it out. They're the team now. How quickly that all came to an end. And then you lose one of the players that helped that happen in a, in a puck. Well, th- they lost arguably the best player in the game. In my mind. 
Okay. At, at least, you know, at, at that point in time, you want to call him the second best player in the game. Now, to me, Russell, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, Durant's the best player in the game to me. Uh, what other people think? I don't know. But the point is, I think, all right, that uh, with at least the decline for this past season of LeBron, he is the guy who checks all the boxes. And that's the guy they lost. And that's the guy who, unlike everybody else, literally can score from anywhere consistently. And, I mean, anyway, back to the basket, going to the basket, the pull-up, the mid-range, the three, the post-up. He's really the only guy, um, to me, that is the ultimate scoring machine because he can do it from anywhere on the court consistently uh, where it can't be defended because he's seven feet, six, 11. All right. I mean, nobody's going to guard him 25 feet from the basket because you shoot over him. Anybody in the box, he posts up and he's shooting off the dribble at six ten, six eleven. I mean, who's going to block a shot? So he's a matchup nightmare. He's an incredible, incredible stroker from all areas, which is the thing that makes him so unique is that he has the ability to shoot the ball incredibly well from everywhere, which is so hard to do combined with his size. And remember, he's really a terrific ball handler. You forget, you watch him, you forget he's 6'11", when he's handling the ball. And he's a good defender and a good solid rebounder. And he's, to me, he's become the best player on the planet. That's what they lost. And that's no knock on Paul George, who I think is a, is a not great, but very, very good player. But he's not as big. He doesn't cause as many matchup problems. And he's simply not as good. Or he's great. And that leaves you with Russ. And the way Russ plays, still a ball dominator, always will be a ball dominator. And you wonder if if they couldn't get it done with KD, how could they possibly get it done without him? That's exactly right. I don't see it. Plus, I don't see it. I mean, it's hard to lay a lot of blame on the shoulders of Russell Westbrook and Paul George when Raymond Felton has to play 20 no, to 30 no minutes in a basketball they, they, game. They have no bench. That's no good. They, 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 have, they have no depth. Right. And they have no and they have no real outside shooting. Which you know, in the game that has become dominant, uh, actually dominated by the three-point shot, where you must have the ability to shoot it, you must have the ability to defend it. If you can't knock down the threes on a consistent basis, you know, which was one of the Lakers' huge uh weaknesses you simply can't win in the league you have to have three-point shooters you don't have to be a three-point dominant team but you have to have the ability to knock down open threes on a relatively consistent basis and if you can't do it you won't win it's it's as simple as that you won't can't do it it's become a mammoth focal point 
of the sport. The game has changed. It's changed dramatically. And that, to me, has been the biggest change. You know, it used to be uh, a treat. It used to be a nuance. It used to be a specialty. Now, if you can't do it, 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 it's just like rebound. No rebounds, no rings, no threes, no titles. You can't shoot it, you can't win it. It hasn't been good on the eyes, especially in game four. Westbrook, I mean, to be blunt about it, he was awful in the second half. When they needed somebody to step up and hit shots, he hit none. It's getting to where he's slowly entering the territory of Allen Iverson or Charles Barkley, and he'll end up being this guy that was great. He'll make the Hall of Fame. He could take over games. If you had him on your team, you loved him, you enjoyed watching him play when he would get in in these modes where he was the man, he was the guy, he'll carry the team on his back. But I don't think as the number one, he'll be able to slay the the teams. And I emphasize the word teams because he would be going up against three, four, five guys that are all all stars or close to it with him and whoever's around. Paul George is a nice addition, but they're still missing a piece. Kevin Durant next to him was outstanding, but they still needed another piece. Steven Adams is a great basketball player, but it's not another scoring piece. It's just been some a void that they've never been able to get across, and he's only getting older. For him to be the number one guy, I can't see them finding success, especially I mean, what we saw last night. Him versus Dame Lillard. Dame Lillard wins. You know, that, that's just how it is. He's 30 years old. How much longer can he average a triple? I mean, it's phenomenal. But how much longer can he average a triple-double? Right. And, and He's averaged a triple-double for three straight years. The money that they still have to pay him, not this year, the next, the next, and then he's got a player option at, I think, 34 years old, 35... $47 million, Al. I don't think he's going to opt out. I think he's going to take the money and play for the Oklahoma City Thunder. They, they're in so much trouble because of that, too. You just you got to throw your hands up in the air at this point. You really do. That's why I wonder if Sam Presley may be heading west. Because you know I have heard and read in a couple different places and then you hear and read in other places totally the opposite, uh, which I also saw tonight. The genie bus has you know, on her wish list, you know, Sam Presti of Oklahoma City and uh, the Toronto president of baseball, basketball operations, uh, whose name I can never pronounce. So I'm not going to try and pronounce it again or mi- mispronounce it again. Um, with with the, the package being he comes, all right? And Kawhi comes with him. And Monty Williams uh, being the new coach. And all of that would be fine. Can you pronounce it? It's Ujiri, right? Masai Ujiri? Yeah, right. That's how you pronounce it? That was good. Well, I always get them. I want to get them. I I, I think I'm saying it backwards. You know, I I think I keep keep on saying Usar Ujiri. Masai Ujiri. 
I want to say Asan Mujeri. Uh, but he has done a terrific job in Toronto building a wonderful franchise that is competitive at the top of the conference every year. And, you know, he brought in Kawhi in a, a huge deal, uh, which may be a rental. I, I think he would be a great fit in L.A. Uh, and the bright lights. And I would love to see Leonard uh, come with him because I think he would be the perfect fit. Uh, you're not giving anything up. You're bringing in a brilliant player, one of the best players in the league. And if it's Sam Presti, that's great too because Sam Presti has shown that he knows how to build a club. Uh, and I, my first choice for coach is Monty Williams because Monty Williams, I think, is a guy who can relate to everybody. He has experience with the top-notch players uh, being on the uh, USA basketball staff. So I think he would be a terrific choice uh, for now and for the future. Ty Lue, to me, is more tied to now because of his relationship to LeBron. But I think Monty Williams has the kind of personality that would be a really good fit. He's very well-respected. And uh, that's what I would like to see the Lakers do with either one of those uh, either one of those guys coming in to run the show. And if they could get Kawhi, uh, you know, to go with LeBron and Lonzo Ball and Brandon Ingram uh, and have Josh Hart coming off the bench and have Kuzma coming off the bench and a lottery pick and then fill out the rest of the roster with some shooters, you know, not necessarily great players, but shooters, then you've got a team that can compete in the West. Uh, I still believe firmly that they are one big time player away from competing in the West. Cause I still believe in this young nucleus because so, it's young enough and it's getting better. Just needs to stay healthy. Uh, I think they're one big time player away from competing. So, and a lot of that also will depend upon whether golden state stays together or is broken up. Cause if golden state's broken up, that means, you know, they're going to be down to you know the big two, uh, whatever, whoever the two may be, whether it's Steph and KD uh, or Steph and Thompson, uh, depending on which one leaves. Or then again, neither leaves, and we sit back and wait, and all roads will continue to go through Golden State. Yeah, it'll be interesting, and it, especially with the Lakers, who they end up with filling in the holes that have now been created both in the front office and on the roster, if they're going to trade everyone and their brother to try and get Anthony Davis, or if they're fine, I don't as think you that's going to happen. I hope not. I don't think that's going to happen. I hope they. Uh, that would be a great scenario if they were to get Kawhi. He picks the correct Los Angeles team, Kawhi. Well, that's the other thing. Pick the right one, Kawhi. That, that's that's the other thing I want to ask you about. Now, obviously, you're you're subjective because you're a Lakers, as am I, but. Steve Ballmer's got a gazillion dollars and he's going to build his own brand new spanking Reno and God bless him. Good for him. That's great. And you got Doc Rivers, who's a really good coach, not a great coach, but a really good coach and is best known for doing less with more and vice versa. More with less. But he did win his one championship. But when I, if I'm a free agent, whether I'm Kawhi Leonard or whether I am Kemba Walker, or whether I am, I, I mean, pick your guy, all right? When I look up in the banners, or when I look up in the rafters, 
You know how many championship banners I see in that new arena? You know how many. Zero. Right. You know how many conference championship banners I see? Zero. You know how many trips to the conference championship they have made in their history? Zero. Yeah, we're not we're not getting any better as we go along. No. <laughs> well, where where well, I'm, I'm going to go to the Rockies or I, I'm going to go to I'm going to go to the Clippers and put them on the map. I am. That's what I'm going to do. I'm, I'm going to sign my huge deal as a free agent in the prime of my career, and I'm going to go become a Clipper. You got to be kidding me. And you're not when you could joining be a Laker, up with. When you could be, and, and, and who are you teaming up with? Yeah, there, there's role players, there's nice players, but there's not, we're one player away, guys already there, where you're the one player and you're going to automatically bring this team to success. You'll have fun, you'll do okay, but it's not going to be, we're going to make the NBA Finals now. I mean, it's a great owner to play for, it's a great city to play for. You'll enjoy yourself, but you're going to reach a ceiling that isn't going to be as high as you want it to be. That's just all there is to it with the Clippers. If I mean, they're a lot better than they used the to be, Lakers, but it's not. And meanwhile, if you sign with the Lakers, you have got a built-in superstar, one of the greatest of all time, as much as I knock him, all right? And as much as I didn't want him, he is there, and he's a great player, and he's one of the greatest players of all time, even though I don't think he's as great as many people say he is. And a young nucleus and cap space where there's room to bring in one max and there's also room to fill in around the one max and an incredible history is the franchise of record in the national basketball association and a chance to lead them back to where the Clippers have never been. It'd be easy for me, but champions. NBA champions, a chance to bring them back to glory, restore the glory, bring back the rings to Staples Center, to the greatest franchise in the history of the sport, and see your jersey go up there with West and Baylor and Kareem and Magic and Kobe. And you'll have and Magic tweeting you well wishes now. And wealth, of course. He just said the other day, Magic is very excited to help the Lakers continue to bring in players and still be a smiling face for the franchise. Magic so he'll still is be all there. in. He'll still be Magic's there. Magic's all in. He loves this thing. Yeah, come on he back. He the genie every day. <laughs> no more collusion. He can tweet all he wants. Exactly. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Let's let's shift gears because it's coming. It's coming on Thursday night and Friday and Saturday. The most ballyhooed, exciting, non-sporting, sports-related event in sports, all right, uh, maybe Selection Sunday. 
I would say is, is a relatively close second. You're young and bright and got your fingers in the, on, on the pulse of everything that's going on. So is selection Sunday a, a, a legit distant second or maybe not so distant second? Distant second. But that's the only thing I can think of. To, of course, the NFL draft from Nashville in primetime, round one, Thursday night. Uh, who's going first? What are the Cardinals going to do? I heard one of the most asinine reports in the history of reporting today with a sports update. <laughs> reports have surfaced that the Cardinals will decide what they're going to do with the top pick in the next couple days. Thank you so much for that absolute pearl of wisdom. They better decide the next couple days because they're going to be on the clock. I hope you wrote that down. (laughs) What's that? It's very important to remember that. The next couple days. I memorized that one. I'm going to use it again. Yeah. The Cardinals are an incredible conundrum in this draft. And I guess that happens every year, seemingly, when you have the first pick. Because last year they they did this already. They went after their quarterback. He's going to be the guy. They got a new coach. He's our guy now. We don't know yet if, if they're both going to match up because everyone's talking about Kyler Murray going number one being their quarterback, trading Josh Rosen, starting from scratch with him. It's hard not to have the mindset that unless you have your quarterback of the future, everything else you do is pointless, at least from a fan standpoint. Obviously, you need offensive linemen. You need tackles. You need fillers where there's holes on your team. But as a fan, you think, if I don't have a quarterback, we're going to be awful this year. Why bother? I think the Cardinals might have felt like that last season with Josh Rosen. Not all of his fault, but the Cardinals weren't very fun to watch. Nothing really jumped out at you as far as anything Josh Rosen did to be like, oh, he's going to be the guy. Whereas you saw glimpses, say, with the Jets and Sam Darnold here and there, like, okay, we had some struggles, but there's glimpses. Or you hit the ground running so fast, like Baker Mayfield does, you don't even think twice about who your quarterback's going to be. You're very thrilled. So the question is, is Cliff Kingsbury going to be the guy that can make Josh Rosen what they hoped he would be? Or can he not do that with Josh Rosen and he needs Kyler Murray to come back to him and go that way? It's a big question. And what do you do with Josh Rosen? Because remember, you traded up last year to get an opportunity to take Josh Rosen. And now you're not going to be able to get for Josh Rosen the same spot in the draft where you picked him in the top half of the first round. I believe at 11, if memory serves me correct. You're not going to get anywhere near the 11th pick in the draft. You may not even get a first round pick. I, I don't see the Giants giving up their second first round pick for Josh Rosen. Uh, I don't think it would be an awful move, but I don't see them doing it. So are you going to take a second-round pick for Josh Rosen? Can you get a second-round pick for Josh Rosen? I know if I'm the Giants, I would trade a second-round pick for him. Absolutely. 
fact, that's probably what I would do is I would fill my roster um, with the best players I can possibly draft. And if I could get Josh Rosen for a second round pick, I think that's what I would do if I were the football giants. But that remains to be seen if they can get that for him. I mean, and if you can't, you can't just give him away. Can you? You're you're really hurting what you did last year, if that's the case. And you're hurting your future, too. Again, now, getting the, the quarterback is the priority, is but... The, the other aspect of is, is, is to look at it as this one. Now, now, remember, yes, drafts and draft picks, drafts, there's no sure thing with a draft pick, but chances are a third-round pick is going to be a guy who's going to make your team. Who's going to help you. Because he's not going to make a ton of money. And he's going to be on your team. So if you're going to draft Kyler Murray, do you literally put yourself in a position to say, look, I got to move this guy. I got to get something for him. I know we paid a premium, but he's not going to play because we're going with this kid. I'm not going to pay two quarterbacks top buck. All right. If I got to move him for a third round pick, I move for a third. Do they take that? Do they absolutely sell out here? If they're forced to, if they can't get a second round pick, do they just take the best that they can get for them uh, and, and and cut bait, or do they sit back and say, "All right, I, I'm not I'm not giving him up because he's got too much value. I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait and see if somebody needs a quarterback. I'm going to wait and see if a quarterback goes down. All right, I'm not going to just simply give him away because you know I'm drafting this other quarterback and you know they they got me over a barrel because they don't want to give me value." Uh, it's it's real. They've really put themselves in a predicament by telling the world that they were, by all accounts, so high on Kyler Murray between the hiring of their new coach and you know the rumor buzz. Um, I would be shocked if they don't take Kyler Murray. I have no idea what's going to ha- happen, but I would be shocked if they don't take. Him. What do you think is going to happen? I would agree with that. I think they've almost, in a sense, backed themselves into a corner to have to take Kyler Murray. And I don't think it's the worst thing in the world. But it's always interesting in these years where the team that has the number one pick isn't 100% gung-ho excited about who they're taking number one. They kind of just go, well, he's there. I guess we have to. That's not the feeling that you would love to have when you have the number one pick. And I think that that's going to be the case with them. And then they have a lot of decisions to make, like you said, because I don't think there's anyone, at least in the top 10, that needs to trade up for their pick to get, say, Kyler Murray. The 49ers aren't going to go after a quarterback, nor the Jets, nor it appears the Raiders. It looks like they're set to go with what they have. <laughs> the Bucks are good. If, I, if, I'm, if I'm the Raiders, I'm just... I'm just filling out my team with the best players yeah. at, at each spot. Right. I've got a, a plethora of picks. There's a ton of terrific defensive players in this draft. There's you know, receivers uh, abound that are probably going to go in the second and third round. Um, running backs, too, but it's a, it's a defensive-loaded first round for sure, along with offensive linemen. And that's the route I'm taking if I'm the Raiders. You know, I, I'm, I'm taking whatever great players fall to me. 
Yeah, and, and you're you're building for Vegas, basically. That should be their bumper exactly sticker right. this year. Building for That's Vegas. Exactly. That's what they're doing. Exactly right. So yep. yeah, whoever's best available. I'm hearing I'm hearing like I'm a like I'm a And, source and remember, just before you get to that, remember that they've already got the all worldwide receiver. Exactly. So keep the fun coming. You know what? Take Nick Bosa. Trade up and get him. Just keep the fun going if you're the Raiders. Playing for Vegas. I shouldn't say I'm hearing, but I've heard through people that are actually good at their jobs and have whispered this around that perhaps the New York Giants have as their number one quarterback a certain Daniel Jones from Duke. Now, I don't know if people listening know who Daniel Jones is if you're not associated with ACC radio and don't watch a lot of college football. He plays for Duke for Coach Cutcliffe, David Cutcliffe. You might remember him as somebody that is very close with one Eli Manning slash Peyton Manning. Peyton, of course, went there to rehab when he had the surgery. Very close with Eli, obviously. And remember, he was he was Peyton's quarterback coach at Tennessee. Right, right. They they're locked together. And Eli's head coach. So So they figure, well, if he's coach Daniel Jones, and he's produced the Mannings. It just seems natural that the next person to step behind Eli would have familiarity with him. So well, that you've would kind seen of be enough a stretch of them. What do you think? I, mean, I haven't seen a lot of them. I don't what think, do you think? I don't think he's the, the sixth pick of the draft, Al. But, you know, if, if you're there and you really love a guy, this is the plan that the Giants have been proclaiming for the past two years when they didn't yeah, take a quarterback take last they year. They can't take him with the sixth. Pick. No, it would, be, it would be awful. It would be ugly if they did. Either you take him with the seventeenth pick. Yeah, I, I can't see him not still being there. There. Or oh, you trade down. Right. But, but it, I, six if is I'm them, I two. take the best. I, I take the best player available at six. Right. And you know, if he's not there at seventeen, I'm not losing all sleep over it. I'll trade my second rounder for Josh Rosen. I guess the main question that we can tease since we may or may not be doing a show for the draft is if Kyler Murray doesn't go to the Cardinals at one, does the fall happen? The Brady Quinn, Johnny Manziel-esque drop where they're taking inventory of his facial expressions as each pick goes by and he's not taken? Is he going to fall that far? I don't think that's going to happen. And I think what you talked about before is that if he falls, it's not because of him. It's because simply that nobody's taking quarterbacks. Everybody's taking defense because most of these teams, believe it or not, have got their young quarterbacks um, until you get to the Giants at six, the Dolphins, the Redskins. Those are your big quarterback spots, um, you know, and only one of them is in the top 10. And can you see him as a New York Giant? I just can't. I can't either. I, and I don't know why. I don't know why. I, I just, I guess it's just hard for me to envision the Giants with a five foot 10 inch quarterback, but for some reason, not, not anybody else. I don't know why. I can see him playing quarterback for half the teams in the league, but for some reason at 5'10", I can't see him doing it for the Giants. I don't know why. 
I, they just they they've got it different, and it's not because Peyton Manning or because Eli Manning is six two, all right, or, or you know he's like six five. You know, landed the Giants, no pun intended. But I just don't see that kind of quarterback, you know, a Russell Wilson type, playing for the Giants. I don't know why. It just it seems like it doesn't fit. Will be fun to see what would happen. Him and Saquon Barkley, though, running around back there. but It'd be fun. It's going to be fun to see him wherever he goes. People who haven't watched him play have no idea how skilled he is. He's got a great arm. He can make all the throws. And he can fly. I mean, he can flat out fly. It's turned into must-see TV, and it will be once again. Oh, it'll be wild Thursday night. Wild in Nashville. And I love the fact they're going to Nashville. I love the fact that they've taken it out of New York and moved it around. I think it's great. I agree. The fans will be crazy as always. Oh, it'll be it'll be, it'll be incredible theater. It'll be a, a, a three-hour nonstop party. Al, it's always a pleasure. Look forward to chatting about it and seeing the hopes and dreams and optimism of the teams once they make their decisions. Yeah, we'd love to see the commissioner out there and the, the the crowd's always positive reaction. One of the best the things in sports. Of the National Football League. Uh, folks, until next time, which will be a post-draft show. For John Tiny Lund, I am Al Renato, AKL from White Plains. Take care, everybody. We'll be back next Monday night, 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening.